For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Larry here. Okay, there we are. I uh, We have got Larry Tracy with us today, and uh, we are going to go to Don Mazzella, who is uh, going to join us here on uh, our program as well, here on Talk America Live. Get a hold of us uh, each and every week here on Talk America Live. And uh, coast to coast, to border to border on Talk America Live, and uh, we are going to patch in Don Mazzella here real quick and uh get him back into the mix here and uh we will get things going don can you hear me my friend you rang look at that <laughs> i love it we have got uh, don mazella with us today and uh we also have our guest for the uh second half of our program here today larry tracy and um larry tell us a little bit about your book my friend i know that me and don uh are very interested in talking with you about it talk to us about your book well, the, um, and hello, Don. The, the book is uh, titled Bring Home the Bacon. Uh, subtitle is Become a Persuasive Leader with the Proven S3P3 System. And the reason I say it's proven, um, it comes from my military and government background. I did most of my, my career was based on speaking and briefing. Uh, at one time, I was the senior intelligence briefer to the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. And if I hadn't done well in that job, I would have been fired. That's why I say it's proven. And then in my final assignment, I was uh, detailed by the, the White House to the State Department to travel around the country speaking to uh, fairly unfriendly audiences, college campuses, et cetera. And then after I retired from the Army, I went into the field of speech coaching. And one of the main areas that I've worked in in recent years has been working with companies that have to make oral presentations to the government for uh, contracts when they're responding to an RFP. And finally, I decided to put it all into a book. Or let me say my wife decided I should put it into the book because she knew I'd, I was much happier out speaking to groups than I was sitting behind a computer writing. But she said, you, you've got a lot of knowledge about that. You ought to put it in a book. You'll get a lot more people to see it that way. So that's how it came, and it's on Amazon as both an e-book and a paperback. Now, Don, uh, well, what do you make of the book here? Because uh, he's he's well, got a he's got a, a wealth of knowledge here. Well, uh, I always begin with something like this by asking, what are the two, three, or two or three main points of your book that uh, you would like to pass on to our audience? Well, the main main point is I I developed a system while I was uh, uh, delivering these rather high pressure and high level presentations which I call the S3P3 system. And it's basically, it could be visualized as the pillars of substance or content, structure and style, supporting a pyramid of planning, practicing, and presenting. And it's those last three that comprise the 21 chapters in my book. And basically, it's, it, public speaking and presentation skills are among the most feared things in the United States, and it shouldn't be because we, we've got that automatic gift as human beings to be able to communicate. And I no less a, a figure than Jack Welch, former CEO of 
General, or General Electric said a few years ago that right now presentation skills are much more important than writing. I, I didn't agree with him on that, but, I mean, that's, that's a pretty credible source. And one of the things that we emphasize in the military, more so than any other element in the government, is preparation and practice. You, you just do not stand up in front of a senior audience in the military without having gone through a very rigorous practice session, and uh, we call it, with a rather macabre name, the, the murder board. And the murder board, to me, is to a presenter what the flight simulator is to a pilot. You learn to make your mistakes when they don't count, you develop uh, a focused presentation, and you develop, you anticipate answers to the uh, questions, I should say, and then develop succinct answers. So my book runs less than 180 pages, and it focuses on these. And then I have two appendices in the book. One is how to deal with hostile audiences, because I had a lot of that experience. And the other one, and this gets right into the business, and probably reflects my Philadelphia origins, I call the model to a winning presentation is the Philly cheesesteak because as any Philadelphian will tell you, it's the roles. And a good presentation, it depends on how you lead into it and how you close and ask for the sale. And that is in the book as an essay. That got a lot of, a lot of play when uh, I first published it for the Project Management Institute in Washington, D.C., and it was republished a lot at that point, so I wanted to put it into the book. But they're the main points, Don, I bring out. You have to know what your objective is. You have to be able to know who your audience is and what their problems are, and then how you can write on their brains with your answer. Not through, not through deception in any way, be right honest and so that you can solve their problem with your, your solution and get that across clearly to them and practice, practice, and practice till you get it right. Couldn't agree with you uh, more. But I'm going to ask you a question. In today's world, where increasingly uh, audience uh, are not there to listen to you, but rather to reinforce their own opinions, um, what do you say to that? Well, that is, that's really the key problem. That's one of the things that I, I had to run into uh, when I was out defending the Reagan administration policy. Uh, there was a, a real bias, I, I think, now. It's, it's much worse on college campuses and other places, be a lot tougher. But you have to show how the audience will gain by the solution that you are providing. Uh, they're not going to come around to your way of thinking just because you want it. They have to say, hey, this is going to benefit me. And I'll be able to make the sale. I'll be able to develop things better. And uh, the key is being able to uh, communicate clearly to people so that you solve their problem. I, I think that would be the one area that they, everybody's got a problem, and you can do it, and you say, this is, this is a technique that we have used, we think it'll work for you, and give us a hearing on that. So it's, it's, but there's no question, people are, are very opinionated right now. I'd, I don't think I'd want to be going out defending policies right now, and I think anybody that's going on the college campuses uh, certainly has it much, much tougher than I had it at that point. But it still it can be done. I've seen audiences be able to turn around from being very intransigent, very opposed to what is being said, and then they see it's in their interest, and that's the key. Well, can you give us an example? I, I'm, I, I, for one, would, would uh, love to how you can do that, having spoken to uh, college campuses and uh, over the years. Uh, I'm very curious how one does it. Well, let me, let me go back to when, when I was doing this 
uh, when college campuses weren't quite as tough as they are right now. I'd be invited uh, to go out, and the White House would send me out to the places that were uh, quite, quite resistant in their view. And I had one technique that I used, and I've told this uh, to James before. I would call the student organizers ahead of time, get a little bit of intel from them on uh, what their concern was, who had spoken to them before. And then I'd go out a day early and invite the, the leaders of the student group to go out and have a pizza and beer. And I'd pick up the tab. And I learned a lot about them, but more importantly, they learned about me that I wasn't some corporate figure coming from Washington. And uh, I think it's relationships are the, the key thing, being able to do it. And then when I we get up to speak the next night in front of the audience, these people who were the, the ringleaders of the opposition would basically be my protectors and say, hey, this, this dude really knows what he's talking about, so well, let him talk and let's hear about this. So well, that's it. But how do, you, how do you get around? You must, in my judgment and my experience, you must identify what their problem is and then see how you can have an intersection of your solution with their problem. Is it easy? Not at all. And I think it's much tougher right now because people are so, so definitely opinionated. And, uh, and, and uh, certainly in the political field, I've, I've never seen it as, as tough as it is right now for, for people on both sides of the fence. Oh, well, that's true. But what, what really bothers me and, uh, is that you go to college to learn. But, and if you don't want to learn, uh, open your mind to new ideas, what are you going to college for? That's, uh, I tell you, that's, uh, you're absolutely right. And that. Colleges have changed so much. Now, my daughters have all graduated from college and have gone through, and I've, I've, I've spoken it back when I was doing this. I'd spoken to some of the leading uh, universities, Princeton, Harvard, Berkeley uh, was a tough one in particular. But the students were still a little bit more open-minded. Now I find that from what I, I hear and from what I see, uh, that if you do not agree with them in their politically correct view, they will not listen to you, and I, I hope that this is a cycle will turn around. But uh, it, it it's a tough thing to do, and I, I say I'm not so sure I'd want to be going out on college campuses right now. And I don't know if the government is sending people out to speak to it because they'd be boycotted. You've seen mm -hmm. that with a lot of political views. Well, let's let's turn it around. Let's talk about uh, uh, business and personal. You know, um, the, there's still a vast audience out there of lions, koanas, etc. And, and uh, uh, speaking to them, especially if you're a, a business person, uh, could perhaps lead to business. What do, what do you do in cases like that? What are some of the tips you'd like, to, like to, our audience to know about? One of the uh, areas is when a government releases an RFP, a request for proposal, and then they, people then have to decide, uh, large companies as well as small companies, so whether they're going to go to the expense of uh, writing out a, a proposal. And a lot of times, because far, uh, what is it, Federal Acquisition Regulation 15 was changed about 20 years ago, a lot of time the written presentation requires an oral presentation, but it's very interesting, the government stipulates that it will not be a professional speaker or a marketing person making it which means it has to be the IT expert, the software developer, the engineer, and generally this is not in their, their sweet spot to make a presentation. So they have to be trained and be able to look very carefully at what those 
requirements are that the government has. And sometimes the government, as you know, Don, doesn't know what it wants when it writes out an <laughs> RFP. So you've got to be very careful. I mean, some of these things look like they've been written by the Oracle of Delphi. And when they are looking <laughs> at the proposal, it's a real that. risk. <laughs> That's very true. But uh, um, I've always been taught that um, if, you, uh, if you can start the speech uh, talk with some, that's something that's relatable and then end it with something that's re relatable, it, re it will reinforce within the talk. What do, what do you say to that? Well, you're, when you're trying to relate, you're, you're again, I, I realize I'm repeating it, you've got to constantly be looking, what is the needs of this audience? What is the needs of this company? What do we have in our company that can solve the problem at the cheapest price possible? And, of course, in the last few years, the government has had this uh, low-cost, technically uh, acceptable, which I have always, it always bothered me when the Defense Department was doing that because I'm of the view that the warfighter should have the best possible thing, not something that's technically accessible. So you've, you've, you've got to be able to look at this uh, once again and hit a hot button if you can find it. Get as much information as you can from the contracting officer as to what they need. If the RFP is not written clearly, see how you can get that so you can then hone in on, on what their particular needs are. And also try to find out what your competitors are doing uh, so that if you find that you're going against an incumbent and that perhaps the incumbent has not done the job that the government wanted, you can find out what that weakness was and then try to develop your proposal. You show how you plug that gap with a strength. And I, again, I go back to it. I think communication, public speaking, is always a relationship that if people like the messenger, they will tend to accept the message. And I find a lot of times people who are, are technically skilled uh, are, are, are not good with their people skills, and so we have to work on that. You have to have a person who is likable and articulate at the same time, and combine the two of those, you got a pretty good chance of getting your point across and winning a contract. Well, um, I'm going to uh, go to, uh, to, uh, wide here and talk about when you go to a, um, a, uh, a show, a, a trade show, and you walk down the aisle, and you see, um, and you see all these people that are there to uh, um, answer your questions, etc. Uh, do you are you are you ever asked to talk to teach them how um, how to engage? No, I never have. Oh. Oh. I, I, I could see that though. That that would be. Uh, uh, I've been to trade shows, of course, and uh, I've looked at it, and I I find that they have just a little bit too much of a. A cut and dried remark. Uh, they're they're almost actors instead of people who can relate to you as well. So I've never been a big fan of the trade show. <laughs> uh, but uh, one, I, one of the things. Go uh, ahead, Don. No, no, Larry, you first. Well, um, one of the things that we we have in the military, and which I bring to the speech coaching field, it, it is rather macabre in its sermon. I refer to it. Uh, we call it the murder board. And it, it just means a simulation where you go in and make a practice presentation with knowledgeable people who can role play your potential customers or your audience of any sort, and they throw tough questions at you. And a, a twi twist of this that I sometimes teach will be the reverse murder board 
where the person who will be the presenter in this practice session actually sits in as the audience and gets to look at the presentation he or she is going to make and then say, oh, was I going to say that? Was that, is that how I was going to answer the question? And you get it back. But it's, uh, it's an excellent system that, that I am trying to bring out to all my customers. And, and it has actually has spread to uh, other elements of the government. Uh, for instance, when a Supreme Court justice is being prepared for hearings before the Senate Judiciary Committee, a couple of years ago, one of the judge, judges or would-be justices was there. It was uh, Judge Alito. And the Washington Post carried the story that he was going through a whole series of murder boards. So I got a call from a client. He said, hey, congratulations, Larry. You made the big time, right? And I didn't know what he was talking about. And he said, well, they're doing the murder board. That's, that's your thing. And I said, no, it's not my thing. I just bring it from the military, but I'm glad they're doing it. Because you, you get, just like a lawyer wants to cross-examine, uh, wants to prepare his client for a cross-examination, he wants the, the term they use is to feel the heat so that you do it. And I, I think it's just absolute folly to go into any tough presentation or a business proposal without having to go in this simulation. Because then you uh, get a second chance to make a first impression to sound right. Let me go a little further. What I think are some of the most persuasive people on the face of the earth are uh, armed forces recruiters. I've seen them in operation. Um, Would you want to comment on that and how they they learn their trade? Well, just with with any of them, I I, I didn't hear the the full question and I broke up a little. Could you repeat that, Don? Sure. Uh, I said... uh, um, uh, I happen to think some of the most persuasive people on earth are armed forces recruiters. Uh, having seen them operate sometime, I'm always amazed how they uh, they they sell a tough life and ma- make it sound almost pal- palatable. Yeah, well, it's it's it's, it's an area that comes from uh, being able to be first of all confident, and I think confidence comes from the fact is that you've gone through a simulation and you've develop the mindset that uh, I know this subject pretty well and I can just about answer any question that comes up. And then, of course, one of the important things I always counsel my clients, when you get a question you don't know the answer to, don't try and fake your way through it. You say, I don't know, but I'll get that for you and make sure you get it. That was a lesson that I learned when when I was briefing the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, uh, that I would never try to fake my way through. And I said, General, I don't have that answer. I'll get that information to your staff just as soon as possible. And then I'd come back. I was in the Defense Intelligence Agency, come back, and everything could stop for me to get that question and then get it to them. Uh, so that, that is it. It's, it's not just being articulate, but it's closing that loop between you and your audience so that you're able to get that information that solves their problem. I always come back to that. A presentation is the solution to a problem. And uh, you've got to do the best job you can. And if you have to, then make sure that you follow up and get that information to them. Well, uh, uh, you're absolutely right on that. But what I'm always amazed about is how, how few speakers follow up. Uh, and that leastwise, uh, when I, I've been in Kiwanis and Lions, et cetera. And in the meeting, they say, yes, well, we'll get it back to you. And then you never hear from them. They so, never hear from them. I'll, I'll tell you, give you a story. I, I was in a, passing by a hotel room one day. I was in a hotel and I was passing by a conference. 
and I heard a fellow say, uh, listen, that's a great question. I'll, I'll get back to you on that, and we'll get that to you right away. Well, I knew some people that were in that conference, so I asked him later. I said, how did he get that, that back to you? He said, we never heard from him. Well, that fellow's credibility was ruined, Then it should be if you can't do it. If you make a commitment, and maybe because I was operating under strict military discipline on there, when I told the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff I would get that information back, come hell or high water, I was getting that information. The best possible answer I could give. Maybe I wouldn't have a complete answer, but that which was most answerable, and I'd have that uh, back to his staff before the end of the day. And there was just, it was, there was no question but that I would do it. And I, I find a lot of people give that, I'll get back to you on that, and they never do. And uh, I think that's a, that's a disgrace. One of the chapters, incidentally, I have in my book is, I talk about the obligations of a presenter. It's a social contract. The audience, if there are 100 people in the audience and you're speaking for an hour, look at how many minutes are being used. And uh, you absolutely owe them the, the maximum benefit that you can give to them. And not just look at it, well, I'll just give this, and then I'll get off and get to the next engagement. That, that happens with a lot of professional speakers, and I, I just think that it's a, a very intellectually dishonest to take that approach. Couldn't agree, agree with you more. If, if you had one uh, thing you'd like, like to uh, pass on to our audience today, what would it be? The one thing is uh, get as much intelligence as you can on your audience. Uh, you can get an awful lot right now in the Internet world. Go into Google, look at company reports, find out who the, the key people are, and then develop your presentation along that line. Uh, going back, what's their problem? What can I do to solve it? Where is the intersection of their problem and my objective? And then here's the old Carnegie Hall thing, you know, practice, 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 and, mm -hmm. and do that. Don't go into something cold just thinking you can use your gift of gab to do it. Uh, then you're, you're, you're not being honest with your audience, and you're not doing the best job for yourself. Now, this is one I always uh, uh, put to uh, people. What happens if you discover your flies open as you're speaking? What, what was that? What happens when? If you discover your fly is open as you're speaking. Well, and you just have to hope that you get through through that. When that 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 is a problem, uh, you're never going to do a presentation. And I I tell this to people in my workshops, and I have it in my book. Uh, you, there are four ways of going about a presentation. I or I should say, every presentation has four things: the one you plan to deliver, the one you actually deliver, and there's sometimes a lot of difference between the two. You want to make them as close as possible. And then how, how you actually deliver the presentation and how the audience hears it. Because what you're saying may not necessarily be what they're, they're hearing, especially in the multicultural and multilingual world we live in now. You have to make sure how many people in your audience speak English as a second language. You've got to watch out with your, your slang expressions. For instance, my book is titled Bring Home the Bacon. That means everything to a native speaker of English, but someone who is not there, they're not going to understand that at all. So when I get my, when I translate this book into Spanish, because I speak Spanish, I can't write it, but I'll have it translated, I'll have to come up with a different title. Uh, the answer is you must always look to communicate right on the brains of your audience with what you want them to do and be honest about it. Mm. Oh, I was once in Mexico City doing a t um, 
a uh, three-day co uh, conference for for a group, and uh, I, I was speaking in English, and there was a simultaneous uh, 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 Mexican uh, translation that people could put on, and I discovered after <laughs> after the fact that the the, uh, the translator was totally butchering my presentation. Um, oh. you, you know, when you brought the, when you said that, it brought that, brought that to mind. Uh, oh, that, that happened so many times. I have actually, I have actually done translating. Not, I'm not good enough to do simultaneous translating, but I, I, I did it a couple of times for the Secretary of Defense with um, uh, leading politicians and defense ministers from other countries, and I always had to be so careful on it and I and I after I did it twice I then said no more we're getting a professional translator from the State Department over here to do that uh, but you always have to be careful on how things are translated because even an honest translator will sometimes not understand how it will will be and they uh, uh, in Spanish the the phrase is a modismo uh, an idiom and they can change so when whenever uh, people have to work with translators I told them to sit down with the translator, go over things, find out what it is that, uh, how you're going to say it and how they were going to say it, and maybe have a third person listening in there to see if you're getting an honest uh, translation as well. But uh, all sorts of potential for misunderstanding when you work through a translator. I couldn't agree more. Uh, I, I, I'm going to go out and buy your book. Um, it's a little late for me, but I'm going to buy it anyway to, uh, let's see how I, I can do well, I'll better. Tell you what, when I saw that uh, James told me that uh, I was going to be on with you, I went into Google and I had just ordered the Janus Principle. Oh, so there we'll have. <laughs> we'll each have a book. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> well, that's great news. We're we're meeting with the publisher in two weeks about doing a right. uh, uh, another book. So we'll look forward to okay, it. Okay, I'll be watching. Okay. Well, uh, and, well, uh, well, Larry, before we let you go, um, how do we get a hold of you online and, and everything? Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, the, um, I think the book will help people because public speaking, presentation skills is always the number one fear. And, and that, it just shouldn't be because it, it's not, not that difficult if you have a system. And the system that I have in the book, I think, will help people. It, it helped people in my workshops. And I, I think they can look at that, read that, and say, well, here, here I can just follow this along. And what I, what I urge in the book, I, I tell people there, read the 21 core chapters two or three times so it becomes your system, not my system. And you'll find how, how you become a much better speaker when you do that. Those 21 chapters are really the key to becoming an effective and, most importantly, persuasive speaker, because that's what you want to be able to do. Well, Don, uh, before we let you go, get, bring us up to speed on everything, my friend. Well, I couldn't ask for a better um, uh, endorsement than he's saying the Janus Principle, which is our book on um, uh, creating a, a, a company uh, that, uh, that's focused uh, on marketing a small business. Um, the, to SBDigest.com uh, is our website, DonMazzello.com. You want to know more about me, and of course the National Robotics Education Foundation, that um, which we, we hope to be doing more with. It's the the dash nref dot org. 
Thank you so much. Okay. And really enjoy Thank it. Thank you. Definitely. Thank, Thank you, you gentlemen. Have yourself a wonderful day. Thank you, guys. There they go. Don Mazzella Ooh. and Larry Tracy. And that wraps it up here from Talk America Live.